Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I am joined by a good friend of mine a long, long way away in Taiwan, actually. It's late here where I'm at. It's midnight in Nicaragua. I believe it's almost 2 p.m. where he's at in Taiwan. And we're going to have a really cool discussion about making the transition from that cozy place we grew up in in Newport Beach to the the wild world of Asia and living in Taiwan, seeking out the life he's always dreamed of, or maybe even a life he didn't know he dreamed of, but is actually living a very cool life in Taiwan. Starns Arnold, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Hey, what's up? How's it going? <laughs> it's nice to have you, buddy. Yeah, like we were just kind of talking pre-show about the last time we met, we were in Chiang Mai, you were in Thailand, you were, you were training Muay Thai. Um, you've always really enjoyed martial arts and, and other various things and found yourself in Thailand. We caught up and, um, was that kind of your, that was kind of your first, I think, big adventure out into the world, wasn't it? It was, that was my first trip outside of, uh, the U S that's cool, man. Why, uh, you know, we actually, so the audience can kind of know a little bit of our, our background. We used to park cars together in 2014 when I was home for that year at the Balboa Bay club in Newport beach. Uh, Starnes was always really just kind and a cool conversation to have while we stood there waiting for cars to pull up. And he was always somebody kind of pe peppering me with questions about traveling. And you had talked about an adventure that you had saved a lot of money to do. And you were asking me, you know, what I thought about places to go. And you were thinking it was either going to be Asia or Latin America. And after getting to know you and your passion for martial arts, it kind of seemed like Asia was the right call, but you were still kind of torn. What, why, why was it so hard for you to make that final decision to go to Asia? Because I know you talked about, well, just I'm going to go to Mexico and learn Spanish and, and do that. Um, I think uh, I, it really had a lot to do with the fact that I had never really traveled anywhere. So, and and I, had, I had planned this trip for several years, actually, when I was working and going through school I knew for several years I wanted to travel so it was a, a lot of research I did and I think Asia is a really really it's an amazing place and then you know Southeast Asia is really great for for anyone who you know if you traveled or if you haven't traveled it's just like there's so much to do it's cheap for the most part it's pretty safe so yeah I think uh, it was a good choice yeah and so yeah you let's let's just take take our audience through that first step because you had saved quite a bit of money. Can can you let our audience know like how much you had saved, roughly? I had saved up, I think it was close to about $10,000. And Chapin, I remember telling you when we were working together, telling you like, yes, is $10,000 enough? And you were like, dude, quit today and go now. <laughs> plenty of money. <laughs> so yeah, I think I had roughly about $10,000. Um, and then I, I, I even remember another time you were like, showed me a flight to Bangkok, a one-way flight for like, six hundred dollars and he's like this could be you dude yeah. and yeah that's eventually where i ended up going you know i bought a one-way ticket to bangkok with 
what kind of plan? I mean, what was the plan? Did you have a plan? Did you had you done any research, or was it just a one way and you figured I had out when done you went? Tons. I had done. I had done. Ye- I would say close to years of research. Uh, I knew. Uh, I think a, a huge part of what I what I tell people who want to travel is you know looking at a map is like some of the best research you can do. You know, figuring out, imagining you know what you're going to do when you land, but. Um, with that in mind, I didn't really have a plan. I knew I wanted to travel. My plan was basically to travel for three months. And I thought if I traveled for three months, this would be enough like life experience. I'd be able to come back after traveling three months and, and that I would be satisfied to settle down in Orange County after that, which is, is quite funny to think about now. But yeah, that's really kind of almost what I thought. And then, yeah, so you lasted two years. Um, did... So you didn't stay primarily in Thailand. I know that was kind of your your maiden voyage. And then you had some pretty wild adventures um, throughout Southeast Asia after that. Can you can you talk a little bit about what made you leave Thailand and go seek out you know some of the other adventures out there and what you were actually looking for? Well, I knew when I when I left the U.S., I knew I wanted to go to more places than just Thailand. And when you look at the map, you see that this is such a good place for traveling because. Um, of you know aside from being cheap the the proximity of the other countries around makes it quite easy to you know go from country to country and those four countries in that area you got thailand i spent a month there and then i i went next door to cambodia for a month uh i went to vietnam and i went to laos all those it's basically a circle you know i did a circle through those countries and it took me about i spent four months in vietnam a month in laos and then i returned to thailand again um, to live in Chiang Mai to, to train Muay Thai. So, um, yeah. And then there's one trip in particular that has actually popped up in my Facebook feed recently that you kind of recounted as more or less the best trip of your life, which was, I think, a motorcycle ride you had through all of Vietnam with some friends of yours that you met along the way. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Uh, yeah, that was that was actually really, really special because, you know, I, w- I was traveling by myself and, you know, which can sometimes be hard, but actually it, it's you, you, I, I expected to be lonely a lot, which never, never happened because um, it was pretty, you know, easy to meet people. And I ended up meeting a German guy who was traveling alone. I met another in- English guy and an Italian guy and, and then a the Italian guy was with a girl from Switzerland, but they were all four of them, you know, traveling solo. And we ended up kind of buddying up and we started this motorbike trip that we, we all bought motorbikes together. And we planned on spending a month riding from Ho Chi Minh City in the south of Vietnam to Hanoi uh, in the north, which is actually um, a pretty common thing to do in, when, when you get there. Um, but we ended up we ended up spending four months doing it because it was just such a such an interesting ride. You know, they have lots of different uh, climates in in Vietnam, and the the scenery is just absolutely beautiful. And I, I really felt like I, I saw more of this country than any other country, including my own. That's really interesting. I'd love to get a little bit more detailed on that process because I think it'd be something that listeners could really benefit from hearing the kind of the whole process you went through from like buying your motorbikes to selling your motorbikes to dealing with the laws the traffic laws the police in vietnam as you rode through it can you take us through the process of you know buying a motorbike in vietnam and how you made that a legal process for yourself well i mean the the first thing was i had i didn't know how to ride a motorbike (laughs) 
Awesome. I never, I had never ridden a motorbike before, and I was terrified actually. And if you see the traffic in Ho Chi Minh City, it is not the best place to learn because it is. I mean, I when I first arrived in Ho Chi Minh, I would take video just of the traffic because it was like a, a stampede of motorbikes. It was you, you look at it and it's incredibly intimidating. You know, but I kind of just got this idea that, yeah, I, you know, I always tried to push myself, you know, if you're afraid, it's it's OK to be afraid, but just do it. You know, what's the what's the the most badass thing to do? I, I always felt like was, you know, if you there's something you want to do, I just pushed myself to do it. You know, I learned how to ride the motorbike. I kind of learned about motorbikes, which was very difficult um, since I, you know, didn't know anything about uh, mechanics at all. But um you know, we just made our way. We bought the bikes. Uh, they broke down almost on a daily basis. You know, these motorbikes, they they are what I'm told. They're not real. They say Honda or, or whatever they say on them. They're like Chinese ripoff engines, you know, that break down on a daily basis. So you kind of get used to just your, your bike breaking down and lots of problems with it. I bought it for, I think it was like $260. Brand new? You know, and Oh no, definitely not brand new. This thing was had probably I don't know. It was nowhere near new. Did it you buy it from a Vietnamese before. person or like a traveler? I bought it from a Vietnamese guy. We thought we thought what well, the Italian guy in our group was actually a motorbike mechanic, which was incredibly useful, and we kind of thought wrongly that if we bought from a mechanic that the bike would be in better condition. We actually learned this was a mistake because a mechanic knows how to keep the bike running just long enough for you to buy it and he can avoid you know investing money trying to make your bike run better so we kind of felt like when we bought the bikes they were much worse off than by the end of our trip when we had put money into fixing them um i think all of our bikes were in better condition by the time our our journey finished because we had ridden them for so long and we kind of learned to take care of them um we definitely had you know a few Many, many uh, instances, I'm thinking of one day in particular where we were in the the countryside and it was freezing cold and our bikes were running out of gas and we couldn't find a place to sleep and that was probably the most hectic day. I think we spent almost 10 hours on on those motorbikes trying. We were knocking on doors in the countryside asking people if we could sleep there and the roads were some of the worst roads I've ever ridden on. Wow, dude. Now, when you did purchase the bike, did you have to get everything in your name and just get lawyers involved? I mean, how'd you make that thing legal to where if you got pulled over, you weren't going to get a ticket or have it taken away from you? Um, well, it basically wasn't legal. I had a license and it had a Vietnamese name on it and that, that wasn't me. So I had like a driver's license that clearly wasn't mine. So I, I wasn't really sure how it worked. You know, I kind of just did it. <laughs> did it and you know kind of like fuck it (laughs) so it's yeah did that cause any problems when you did get pulled over because i can imagine you got pulled over and they wanted a bribe of some kind at some point we had two two run-ins with the police um the first one was when we thought and here's the thing you know about vietnam after a while we learned you know it's a beautiful country and the people of course i respect the people but they often tried to cheat us you know so there was one time in particular where we were in the countryside we realized we were really really close to cambodia 
and these guys who were dressed in normal clothes were stopping us and demanding our passports. And we had heard all these horror stories about police who took the passports and demanded, you know, giant bribes or whatever. So we were kind of refusing to give them anything. And we tried to like outrun them on our motorbikes. But it's actually quite funny because they're just like riding along behind us thinking, you know, how much longer are you going to try to run from us? We're not going to like just let you go. And uh, we ended up realizing that they were actually just doing their jobs. You know, they wanted to make sure we had our visa stamp and that we were in the country legally. We weren't trying to, you know, do anything that we weren't supposed to be doing. So and they never asked for any bribes whatsoever. Uh, That was the first run in we had with the cops. And then the second one was that night that um, that I was actually talking about before. It was when we were trying to find a place to stay and we were knocking on doors and then we saw this one like gated place and it looked like it had beds inside. We thought it was like a homestay. I remember pulling in and this guy's waving us in and we're like, perfect. We found this homestay. We can actually put our heads down and sleep. And that was wrong. It was the police and they were wanted to check all of our papers and they ended up questioning us. They had some 10 year old girl from like some nearby place run over and translate for us so we could they could ask us all these questions and all it did was take like an hour and then afterwards they like sent us on our way it was uh yeah the police i mean i heard lots of bad stories about them but all my experiences with the police were actually pretty um they weren't they didn't try to uh, ask for any bribes or anything but you must have broken some kind of law like you didn't signal or you just went through a stoplight and they you never got ticketed of any kind never to be honest the the traffic laws in vietnam i mean they were almost non-existent chapin i have this one shirt i bought for my dad and it's like green light you can go yellow light you can go red light you can still go it's like (laughs) the funniest shirt i I ever bought in, in vietnam and yeah it kind of is the perfect uh, interpretation of the traffic laws there, which were, you know, if you can do something, ride on the wrong side of the road. I mean, there was this one time where I was with my friend and uh, he broke down and we were, it was late at night and I was on a freeway and it was probably the most dangerous thing I've ever done was ride on the wrong side of the road on the freeway. But I didn't know what happened to him. I was afraid. I, I was hoping, you know, he hadn't fallen or gotten hurt so i i remember riding in this very dangerous lane to 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 make sure he was okay um yeah but the the traffic laws in in vietnam i mean they you you can do basically anything you want well and was he okay like your your buddy yeah he was fine he had gotten he had gotten a flat tire and uh, okay yeah and and the great thing about uh vietnam was man they had motorbike mechanics every 100 meters there was a, a, a bike shop or you know a mechanic that could help you fix your bike for like two three dollars you know it was incredibly cheap it is so convenient yeah i've had a few experiences on like scooters in indonesia where like you get a flat and there's always someone like a kilometer away that can repair it for you real simple um yeah. going back though to like selling your bike so when it was time to sell it you just found another person to buy it and then no nothing was exchanged that- except for money Oh, that's another funny story. Um, when I went to sell my bike, I had, by the end of this journey, I was pretty exhausted, you know. So when we arrived in Hanoi, and uh, I took a few days where I wasn't even, like, riding my bike. And my friends were more in a hurry to leave Vietnam, so they were much faster to sell their bikes. Um, and I kind of, like, lingered a bit. And then finally I was like, okay, I need to move on from Vietnam. I need to sell my bike. But my bike, uh, it had a lot of problems with it. 
a lot, lot, lot of problems with it. And I actually spent more than a day, a few days at different mechanics trying to get it fixed. And, you know, it, I had a few mechanics say, you know, I, I can't fix this or you're going to, you know, obviously they didn't say I can't fix this. They said something in Vietnamese that I couldn't understand, but basically telling me the, you know, that my bike was beyond repair. Um, what I ended up doing, it was stuck in first gear. I remember by the end, by the time I was done with it, it was stuck in first gear. It was really messed up. And I ended up selling it to the hostel I was staying at for like $200 and I had been staying there for like two or three weeks or something like that. And I, I asked, I think it was two weeks. I, I asked them, I was like, I'll give it to you for $200 and, and you let me, you know, you, you give me free stay here. And they took it right away because they thought they knew that that was actually pretty cheap, but they didn't, they didn't test drive it at all. And I remember after they gave me the money and we agreed, I like went upstairs and I watched out the window as they test drove my bike and realized how bad, <laughs> bad it was. And it was actually a little bit funny. And they didn't. They didn't try to take back their agreement. They just kind of accepted it. Oh, uh, they they knew. They, I mean, it's it was Vietnam. You know, it's kind of almost like a feels like the wild wild west sometimes because you know, like I said, they often tried to cheat you, and and people would tell me that was oh, that's only true in the city. You know, the truth is that that's they often tried to do it in the countryside. Uh, you know, some kind of um, sketchy stuff they tried to do. You know. Uh, and yeah, so once they, once they had made the deal, they knew that it was, that's, there's no going back. There's no refunds in Vietnam. So yeah, yeah it was, I remember them saying to me, your bike is very not good. And I was just kind of laughing like, yeah, I know. <laughs> cool, man. That's a really cool story. And then, so you left Vietnam and, and at this point it sounds like you had been traveling for like whatever, eight months or so. And then you stayed a I whole nother year. Vietnam, it, I think after Vietnam, it was like, uh. It was like it had been six months by then. And then uh, I remember I sold my bike and I went to one more city in Vietnam that was actually really beautiful, one of my favorite cities called Sapa. It's in like the northern countryside, uh, the mountains actually. And then after there, I moved on to Laos. Okay. Um, yeah. and, and But your whole Asian experience, your first time out of the U.S., or sorry, big trip by yourself out of the U.S. was, what, two years straight is that correct two years straight and so then what was that second year full of like traveling or were you working what were you doing uh well after i i mean i left vietnam and i spent some time in Laos. and i remember when i was in Laos, i really was like what should i do should i go home i don't want to go home what should i do now and that's when i realized like oh i should just go do muay thai in thailand that's actually one of the things i had wanted to do when before i even came to asia is that i wanted to train actually jujitsu in Thailand, but when I got to the jujitsu place in Chiang Mai, I didn't really feel it. I wasn't really feeling the vibe. And some other guy took me to a Muay Thai gym, and I remember seeing it and thinking, like, yeah, I can do this. I, I should do this. And, uh, you know, I started training Muay Thai, and now I, I, I love Muay Thai. But um, I lived in Chiang Mai for about four months, and I, I basically ran out of money. You know, my money was uh, almost depleted by then, and I was torn between, you know, going back home. Or, you know, finding a way of staying in Asia. And that's when I started uh, looking for an English, English job. In Chiang Mai, you started teaching English? Uh, no, I didn't start teaching in Chiang Mai. I started looking for a job in Chiang Mai, but I kind of learned that in Thailand, you're really not making too much, too much money, um, barely enough to, like, support yourself. 
Right. So I started I started researching uh, Korea, uh, China. I even I looked in I had looked in Vietnam before, but I I felt like I'd already seen you know a lot of Vietnam. I looked at Japan and then you know Taiwan. Ah, I see. So you flew from then Thailand to Taiwan straight to a teaching gig. Correct. Ah, so did you get a TEFL like before you did all this? Or I did. did. I remember completing it online like my first week in Thailand. When I arrived, I remember I left Bangkok and went to this Ayutthaya is like the old capital in Thailand. I spent a few days there. It was really nice and relaxing. And that's when I ended up being like, you know what? I'm just going to get this uh, online course done because when you pay for it, you have like six months to complete it. So I remember thinking like, oh, it took me like two or three days. I, I did it, you know, over the course of like eight or nine hours and, you know, just got that done and over with. And then, yeah, you're like, it's like a 120 hour TEFL course online. To be honest, I don't know how necessary it is. I don't think the job I um, got required it, but um, yeah. So when you did uh, reach out to a school in Taiwan, they didn't ask for that. They said, hey, come on over and we have a job waiting for you. You know, I really can't remember. I can say that recently when I was thinking of leaving Taiwan to relocate to China, that uh, a lot of the jobs I was looking at did want you to have a TEFL, a TEFL course. But, you know, that might be just China. I think in Taiwan now, if you have a college degree, you could probably find an English teaching position pretty easily, pretty easily here. Cool. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you kind of mentioned money earlier saying that, you know, after doing some research, Thailand probably wasn't the best place. Um, sounds like Taiwan was. Can you talk, talk to us a little bit about what kind of money you're making there? Um, well, if I was, um, I mean, I spend a lot of money too. I eat, I'm very, you know, I try to eat healthy and eat a lot of food, you know, and I do my, my MMA training. I train at several gyms in Taiwan, so I spend a lot of money on gym memberships. Okay. And, uh, you know, and studying Chinese, I have to pay my tuition so at the end of the month, I'm really uh, not saving so much money. But if I wasn't doing those things, I mean, if I came here and I was just studying English which or teaching English, which is originally what I planned to do, you know, just teach English for a year and then move back to Thailand for Muay, Muay Thai, I think, yeah, you could definitely save up, you know, if I wasn't teaching and training or learning Chinese and training so much, you can save up, I would say, 800 to a thousand dollars a month if you're if you're good with your money that's amazing that's that's really cool if you're not drinking or you know doing that kind of that kind of stuff yeah and so your experience in in the taiwan i guess school system are you doing private tutoring you're actually working as a teacher in a, a what international school or a chinese school how does that work it's, a, it's an international well I, I don't think it's an international school but it's like a just like an english school it's called annie's english school um you know i teach kids Today I taught for three hours and they were like middle school kids, you know, but I have like a second grade class and a fourth grade class. And, you know, it's actually it's not a bad gig at all. I mean, I, I have nothing to compare to in terms of like teaching in the U.S. or at other schools in Taiwan. But I do think, you know, compared to being a valet, Chapin, you know, being a teacher is not a bad job. Yeah. And so you are in walking distance to this school do you have like a car you drive to it like what's that scene like uh i bought a motorbike so i i ride a motorbike to uh school it takes me about five or ten minutes nice and are you in like the main city like is this just super hectic or are you on the outskirts in like a suburb 
I'm actually more on the outskirts. I mean, I live in actually, it's considered new Taipei city, which is outside. I'm not in like downtown Taipei. The Taipei has like the fifth tallest building in the world, Taipei 101, which is right in downtown Taipei. And I'm about, uh, if I ride my motorbike, I'm about 30 minutes away um, without traffic. It's, it's pretty close. I mean, depending on where I'm standing, I could probably see that tall building, you know. But, uh, yeah, I live a little bit outside of Taipei. It's cheaper. Um, but then again, you know, one of the reasons why I chose Taiwan, Taipei is I had done my research before I moved here. You know, I wanted somewhere that I could train and also somewhere that had really good public transportation so I could get to training easily from work or whatever. So and Taipei has, you know, has they have a MRT. I've never really used the buses buses so much because, you know, everything's in Chinese. It's not so simple. But um, the MRT, the uh, um, is pretty, pretty uh, user friendly. That's cool, dude. So when you got the English job, do you automatically then get like a work visa or do you have to leave the country every three months or something like that? No, I have a, a one-year alien resident card. Yeah, it's like my ARC. And once I have that, I mean, it made everything easier because when I started studying Chinese, they wanted to know what my visa situation is. But then I didn't have to even deal with that because I already have my ARC. So, um, yeah, and my, my company basically takes care of all the paperwork and all the the uh, bureaucracy with that, so it's it's pretty easy. Are you working with like a third party company that then basically dishes out uh, English teaching jobs around the city for you? I had originally found, yeah, I went on this. If I remember correctly, I've I had gone online to find this English teaching job when I was in Thailand, and I found this recruiting company, and they recommended like some schools to me, and then the principal of the school interviewed me, and he was actually. Um, an American guy who lived in Taiwan. Um, and pretty quickly I was like, yeah, okay, let's, you know, let's, let's do it. And within, I think within four or five days, I was on a plane to Taiwan. And then do they help facilitate or help you find like living situations and all that? Or is that all on you? It was funny. I mean, they offered to help me find, but I had been backpacking around and I had planned on working and trying to save as much money as I can. So when I arrived there, I remember telling them, yeah, I want to find the cheapest option for a living. And they said, well, you should you should give yourself between 10000 to $12,000 a month rent. And I ended up finding a place that was 4500 But um, it was like very, very limited, minimal uh, small room and my shower was like a bucket shower. I ended up using a bucket shower for the first year in Taiwan because it was the cheapest option and I wanted to, um, you know, save as much money as I could. Wow, dude, that's pretty rugged. <laughs> Good for you. You're pretty, you're pretty disciplined. I, I, dude. I, I, I enjoyed it, you know, cause I, I, I've always enjoyed, you know, not, uh, you know, just living a, a minimal non luxurious life, but I did have, I did meet a girl I liked, a Taiwanese girl, and we, we dated for a while. And when she broke up with me, looking back now, I think it had something to do with the fact that I lived, you know, like that. Maybe she thought I was, uh, I don't know, sloppy or messy or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, dude. I mean, it, you never really know, right? They, I guess from my experience, <laughs> they, they always hope you I have a little bit more money. Well, I find if she, she, you know, was uh, obviously not living out of a bucket, so... Um, yeah, I can kind of understand that maybe I should have moved out of that place faster than I did. But I, you know, it it was good enough for me. I didn't mind it. So 
um, I don't have uh, any regrets, really. That's cool. So, yeah, you got a little bit of a passion for Chinese and you like the MMA. Um, maybe can you talk a little bit more about that and, and where you see that going with, one, wanting to learn Chinese and, two, putting so much time and effort into this MMA fighting, your Muay Thai, like all the mixed martial arts that you do do. I mean, do you ever kind of like secretly think that this could grow into maybe coming back to the U.S. and making a good go of like the U.S.C. or something like that, UFC? Um, I think definitely not. Uh, How come? I think I just don't have the skills. I also think what's what's incredibly important and one of all what all these great fighters have is great uh, training partners. You know, in Asia, if, if I wanted, to, if I was serious about fighting, I would be living in Thailand or I would move back home. Because, you know, we lived in Orange County. That is an amazing place to train for jiu-jitsu, for MMA, for all these martial arts. You know, the U.S. is huge. Play. There, there's so many great gyms to train at in the U.S. And then, yeah, for Muay Thai, Thailand is phenomenal. Um, you know, in Taiwan, it's, it's actually kind of difficult. You know, that's why I have to train at so many gyms. There's not a lot of big guys and there's a lack of high level guys. There are some guys here that can push me, you know, and the MMA fight I have in three weeks is against the guy. Uh, it's a rematch against the guy I lost to by decision. And he was actually, um, quite good. I, I thought he was actually very, very good. He, uh, yeah, his jujitsu, his striking, I have a, a lot of preparation if I'm going to beat him in my next fight. But I think, you know, I'm maybe reaching, I'm, I'm 28 now. I don't know how much, how many years left I'll be able to be in my prime. And if I was serious about trying to join the UFC, I don't think I would be living in Taiwan. So then I guess I ask again, like, so why are you there? I mean, I know this is, well, it's a combination Chapin. It's a combination of, you know, doing what I love, which is training every day, you know, getting to compete, and then also I, I have my, my I have a few a few passions. You know, I've learned that I, I really enjoy learning Chinese, and uh, there are other places I can learn Chinese for sure. But this is actually a really really excellent environment for me to learn Chinese, and I have, you know, there's there's something about, you know, now I consider myself about halfway fluent in in Chinese. I can definitely you know have a, a conversation a. a a conversation with someone in Chinese and that's that's quite a it, it feels really good actually to to be able to you know have some of these experiences you know that I can only have if I'm able to understand Chinese I'm trying to think of a, a of an experience off the top of my head that was would have only been possible um if I spoke Chinese uh I mean I'm dating a girl right now she doesn't speak any English that's a huge accomplishment, man. Like, I'm so impressed. Like, that's amazing. Good job. Um, so you're halfway fluent. How long did it take you to get to where you're at now with your, with your language? Like the whole, well, I mean, it, all, it, all, it, it really depends. I mean, it depends how much time you put into it. I've had my time split up with working and training. So I think my Chinese would definitely be a lot better if I wasn't, you know, so busy already. Um, I've heard people become, uh, fluent within a year. I don't. I, I really can't judge what fluent is, but in a year, I think if you're doing nothing but studying Chinese, uh, yeah, it's possible. I mean, I def. I go to a university now. I think I'm the only one in my class that has a job. I don't think anyone else works. Um, 
you know, it, it really depends how much time you spend doing it. You know, it's really hard for me writing these characters, you know, the, all the Chinese characters. I mean, there are like 60, 70,000 of them. And sometimes I think, why am I doing this? It's <laughs> never, it's never, I'm never going to learn them all, but I don't know. I, I really, maybe I need to do more, uh, thinking ahead, but I really just right now just try to, um, you know, improve. It seize the day as they say just try to do as much as i can in one day to uh accomplish my short-term goals which are you know having a having a an active mma career and then also being able to speak chinese that's so cool man congratulations that's big time i mean good good for you for going after what you want you know taking that risk putting the time in you know as you just described you have to do if you want to learn this language and be successful with the mma thing um are you making any money with the MMA thing? Does that kind of give you any pocket money to do what you want? Uh, very little. I mean, I won. I the last fight I had, I got knocked out, but it was a it was a tournament, and I had had four fights, and since I made it to the final round, I won about 150 bucks. So that was cool. And then my next competition, if I win, I can make about I'd say close to. A thousand US, so it's actually if I really want to win that because that would be a pretty cool payday. No, yeah, that's incredible, dude. I mean, to get to do what you love right now and the way you're doing it, like, are you enjoying the teaching aspect or is that just a way to pay the rent? Uh, teaching is actually pretty interesting. I mean, the only person who really asks about teaching is always my mother. She wants to know how my kids are doing you know because i teach you know second graders and stuff and i always kind of uh am less interested in in that part of my life but really it's 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 that's another story altogether you know there's some funny funny things you know you learn about the culture you learn a lot about the culture from from you know time spent with these kids there's there's some things i've learned that i think only a, a, a teacher could really know you know when i talk to other people who have lived in taiwan for years or who have been here for a long time and and i'll know things that they don't simply because i I've, I've spent time with you know these kids who can they're they're you know learning and mimicking adults and some of these uh habits and uh ways of talking and you know, it, it can be quite entertaining, actually. I, I do enjoy teaching. It's not something I want to do forever, but it really is uh, a, a good job. I, I not only uh, think it's not so stressful, but also it can be pretty entertaining, you know. Um, yeah. And then lots, you're, of, lots of funny things happen. I can only imagine. I mean, just those little subtleties, like kind of as you start to learn the language where you know, you can tell a joke in Chinese or you understand a child's joke in Chinese. I can imagine that's very rewarding. And just learning the little cultural norms and mores that unless you're in it, you would never know, which is amazing. Yeah. That's super cool. Just today I, I gave, I said something, you know, I was teaching junior high school kids today and, you know, they can be cool, but then some of them can be little punks. And I said something or I, I gave this one girl back something and she swore at me in Chinese but she didn't know that I understood what she was saying. So when she swore, I was like, who, who are you talking to? And she just like right away was like a little bit frightened because of the fact that she didn't expect me to, to understand her. Cause I'm not, I, I don't tell my job that I, uh, that I speak. I try not to uh, let them catch on that. I speak Chinese because it's, it can be weird. The working environment in Taiwan, 
but I, my, I'm not allowed to speak Chinese in my class. I still do sometimes, but for the most part, I try to minimize um, how much Chinese I use uh, while I'm working. Got yeah. it. How are your parents with you living so far away? Are they supportive? I mean, they're supportive. I, I found it very funny when I was d- discussing buying a motorbike in Taiwan with my dad. And man, two or three years ago, he would have said, absolutely do not buy a motorbike. But he was he was encouraging me to. He's like, yeah, yeah, I think you need a motorbike, you know, so you can visit more of the country. And I, I was laughing when he said that because I never would have expected him to uh, to say that to me. And I really actually afterward, I realized it, it means that, you know, he, he kind of uh, he trusts me. So it, that felt good. No doubt. Have they come over to visit? My sister came here to visit, um, and that was her first trip out of the U.S. And uh, that was really fun because I I have tried to get my parents to come for a while. Um, I think there's a few different reasons why they haven't. But it was funny having my sister come here. You know, they have a few weird things you definitely won't well you probably find them in the u.s but they're definitely not common you know one of their staple dishes in taiwan is called stinky tofu and it smells like it smells it smells awful i mean it smells like a toilet Mm -hmm. but it tastes it it tastes quite good i I enjoy it but um, most foreigners i think can't handle it and my sister i was like the first thing i took her to eat and it was kind of funny because there's the there's like the fried stinky tofu that is much more easier to eat. I took her to eat that and she liked it. But then I took her to the real traditional stinky tofu and the look on her face after she took a bite, she really did not like it. <laughs> but um, I was glad that she uh, she tried it. And yeah, that, that was fun taking her to, to, you know, hot pot and the night markets and a few of the things that they do here in Taiwan. It was cool to take my sister to do. What's your uh, social scene like? I mean, are you just literally hanging out with your fighting friends at training and then you're doing your studying when you're alone? Like, do you ever go out for beers or is it just pretty strict right now with the fighting? Um, I have one buddy, one American. It's funny, you know, I lived in Thailand before for four months and I felt like I made more friends in those four months than I have in like two years in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. But um, I uh, a few friends. I have one or two friends that I had started studying Chinese with, that are probably my my best friends. One of them actually just moved to China, um, and then I have like another uh, guy that uh, is a coworker of mine that I'll hang out with from time to time. But uh, for the most part, my social social life is rather, at least for now, it's a little bit restricted. I went out. I didn't even go out on New Year's. I went out on Halloween. And, uh, I think, yeah, there's a cool, I mean, there's definitely a, a night, uh, a nightlife, you know, scene in Taiwan. If you go to like the, the downtown area, there's definitely, I've been to, you know, a few of these nightclubs have, you know, pretty, pretty packed and pretty crazy and pretty fun, you know, lots of, uh, lots of, uh, interest, well, I wouldn't say interesting, but lots of, you know, excitement going on and it can be, it can be a fun night if you want to, you know, party. That's cool. I do want to come party, man. You have a you have an extra room I can stay in. You come, we for sure will, man. Nice. So just just one more quick question, you know. So as this continues to kind of, or as you start to move through the rest of your time in in Taiwan, do you think you're gonna maybe gravitate going towards China, or are you gonna go back to Thailand and continue with the Muay Thai? Uh, well, I've kind of told myself that I don't. I don't want to settle down in Taiwan. 
I mean, at least now, I'm not really, I don't really think I'm like in love with Taiwan like I was with Thailand. You know, I really loved Thailand. And I think that's something special for me because I just loved Muay Thai so much. And, you know, Thailand, the food is, you know, I, I love Thai food, you know, so I loved Thailand. Taiwan is, I feel like, has a lot of opportunity right now for me with, you know, training and or at least with learning Chinese and that, you know, the ability to have a, make a living teaching. Um, I plan to stay here, I think another year, maybe a year and a half. And then I think I have to decide uh, if I'm going to move back home or if I'm going to, you know, move on to another country in my heart. I really don't want to leave Asia. You know, I, I think I fell in love with Asia. I find Asia to be such a interesting, exciting place, you know, um, so I'll, I'll have to see. I think it has a lot to do with, you know, what's going on in my family. But in my heart, I would like to stay in Asia for more, several more years. I hear you, man. I mean, I have a huge fondness for Asia myself. Looking forward to getting back there once I get my, you know, online businesses up and, and rolling more. And definitely want to come visit you wherever you're at and just, yeah, engulf myself in the various cool cultures that asia has to offer it's just such a cool dynamic place in my mind yeah it really is um you know as we wind down there you know there might be a few uh, audience members out there who would love to contact you with some questions is there a place that might be easiest for them to contact you like facebook or instagram or something like that i do i did make a uh when my sister came to taiwan she made me an instagram um, so I have an Instagram now and then also, yeah, Facebook, you know, you're, you're my friend Chapin. So if anyone's, I guess, interested in, in getting some more information, I, I'd be happy to offer, offer some information if they just want to friend me on Facebook or whatever. Cool. And it's Starnes Arnold. That's how you can be found. My Facebook is actually, when I made that, I, well, that's funny. I mean, my first name is Starnes and I was Starnes my whole life. Uh, and then when I left, for Asia, I remember kind of thinking, well, maybe I should try having like a normal name so I can like maybe the first time I introduce myself to people, I don't have to have this. You know, I'll, I'll tell you my thinking really quickly, Chapin. You know, I, I feel like when I was traveling, a lot of people, you meet so many people and a lot of people you meet, you meet them for a minute, maybe two minutes, and then you never see them again for the rest of your life. And I had always growing up, you know, had this unique name, Starnes. And when I would introduce myself to people, you know, nine out of ten people would ask questions about my name or they didn't pronounce it correctly or what's that mean? Where is it from? And I ended up having this first conversation when I met someone with with explaining my name, which kind of I didn't really enjoy. You know, when I came to Asia, I, 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 I remember landing and experimenting with my middle name, which is, you know, Christopher, Chris, you know, so I started you know, going by Chris, and actually, that's what everyone knows me as out here. Very few people even know my first name, and uh, I, that's what I ended up making when I made a Facebook. I went with Christopher Arnold, so that's that's my Facebook. That's my Facebook name. All right, Christopher Arnold. And what about your Insta? Uh, my Insta, my sister made that for me, so she called me a nickname that she's called me forever, which is Starnsy. <laughs> S-E-A-R-N-Z-Z-Y. I'm not sure if I'm crazy about this nickname being the like name of my Instagram, but as of right now, I haven't changed it. So that's my Instagram. Radical, dude. 
Well, thanks, brother. I'm I'm looking forward to catching up with you uh, somewhere out in Asia at some point here in the next year or two. And I wish you all the best with your MMA and your Chinese studies. And thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your story with me and the audience. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.